Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. Kate, I know you've said this before, but it does like every time I say that intro, when I say the comedy part of that, it feels less and less true every week. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, look, uh, we're trying. We're trying so hard. I don't think people understand. I don't think Trump is good for comedy. He's Although, bad. can I, uh, can I, here, I'd like to uh, contradict myself for a minute and, and say maybe Trump is, is good for comedy. Hold on. I'm going to show you the clip. You know what I say? Protest is your ass. I don't talk about my ass. Um, yeah, that's the president of the United States saying that he doesn't talk about his ass. Um, you know, uh, usually I'm so inured to the things that Trump says, but every once in a while he gets through with something that's pretty funny. You know, like when he says, uh, I think when he tweeted once about Happy New Year to everyone, including the haters, the haters and, the and the losers. Yeah, that was very, that was undeniably funny. Um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, he says stuff that's funny sometimes, but he also has like no it's it's annoying because I think he has no he has no self-awareness and he's not smart. So he shouldn't be allowed to say things that are funny. Um, No, he absolutely sucks. He's rising in the polls um, and it is (laughs) definitely really disconcerting. Um, I've been thinking a lot this week about like the way that. Uh, rioting and looting is being used to drum up justification for voting for him. Mm-hmm. Like Andrew Sullivan wrote that really fashy piece, um, I guess just on his personal blog, basically, because he's a blogger about, you know, well, you've left me no choice to, uh, you know, I have to vote for the people who are supporting law and order. And, you know, if that's a fascist, that's a fascist. Too bad. And people are kind of trying to retroactively justify something that they were ultimately going to do anyway. I mean, Andrew Sullivan has supported eugenics, as we've talked about on the (laughs) podcast. Sure. I mean, yeah, not a guy who I'm usually I'm, you know, using as like the barometer of of what is what is right and good. Um, But yeah, it's I'm very worried. I'm really concerned and Um, I just feel very nervous that the Democratic Party establishment is gonna fuck this up. The idea of not only four more years of Trump, but the SCOTUS appointments that could be coming down the pike, and also the uh, circuit court judges, the federal circuit court judges, that are also lifetime appointments, like, that's part of the judiciary branch too and i just and that's forever <laughs> like i mean that's- yeah you know it's definitely really concerning i've been um you know i've been looking at this uh <laughs> the, the like aspects of the discourse that i kind of zoomed in on this week was uh there was this interview on npr of all places um 
called one arguments one author's argument in defense of looting and it was this woman vicky osterwell she's trans yeah yeah and so she wrote she was interviewed about you know her book in defense of looting and you know she made some points about it that i thought were really good um she was talking about uh looting as mass shoplifting basically it's a way to have people address their material needs immediately um and also i would say you know more broadly that it's a a symptom of a very unequal system um and and it's you know it's a reaction to uh the injustice she also talks a lot about the outside agitator myth um which is that the people from the riots are uh the people who are rioting or are coming from the outside, for example, it's, you know, white anarchists, it's not organic to the movement. But then you've really seen people sort of on the right and the left kind of taking this ball and running with it and being like, I can't believe that this is what we are now. You know, everyone's supporting looting. And then Joe Biden has been called on to denounce the looting again and again and again, which he has. He's very pro-cop, as we've noted on the show. The ticket that he's running on is basically a, a buddy cop ticket, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but I think that people are really latching onto this because, one, the author is a trans woman. Um, and two, um, it's, you know, it's just a way to really... It's like the campus culture debate, you know, like it's something that affects actually not that much that people just blow up to make these yeah. this giant, this grandiose point. Well, I mean, looting has become this one of these like buzzwords, buzzwords in the mainstream media that is just like makes people go cuckoo it is like that word is so triggering for uh for a lot of people in this in this country to the point where it's just become the whole conversation it's like you know you like even talking about like black lives matter with like otherwise reasonable people sometimes they'll be like well what about the looting that's definitely something that like the conservative media is obsessed with but i do want to say we have a a really really special guest today um i'm i'm actually like super excited about it yeah and, me too. Uh, yeah uh i never really thought we'd get a guest this big what do you think you know it's like when you and i started this podcast this was the kind of guest that you and i could only dream of yeah we had ed markey which who hopefully will win his senate race today today hopefully that'll be resolved by the time this episode comes out tomorrow but um we are actually uh, very stoked uh, to get to talk to this man, uh, who is our friend David Spector. Mm-hmm. But also, we have recently learned that he is the CEO of Antifa. Absolutely, he is. And, you know, was that a position we even... Did we know that Antifa had a corporate-like structure? No, we didn't before this. But guess what? They do. We are here with CEO of Antifa, David Spector. David, welcome to the welcome show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Not so loud. I'm hungover. <laughs> um, so as Julia was noting before you jumped on this call, we actually Is this about not- the rent? For the last time, I told you I can't make it now that OnlyFans has limited tips to $100. <laughs> Bella Thorne has ruined this for all of us. 
actually, no, we we just kind of wanted to talk to you about the the activities of uh, Antifa and, you know, specifically uh, the new subpoena that uh, Rand Paul has called for. Um, just before we get into that, um, we didn't know that Antifa had a CEO. Uh, how, how long have you been in this position? Can you tell us a little more about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Antifa has always had a really well-defined corporate structure. <laughs> I took over I took over a couple years ago. Uh, back then, we were mostly known as a lifestyle brand, but sure. I managed to expand our focus towards invading suburban communities and flipping uh, middle-aged guys' grills over and things like that. So we've managed to uh, really branch out and scale up. We've got an Antifa CEO, an Antifa CFO, an Antifa head of HR who enforces the mandated company all black dress code. So, <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, we've got a well-defined corporate structure. Wow. So um, I, I really love to know that um, Antifa is out there really predominantly in, in the suburbs um, mm. with this corporate structure, much like sort of a leftist multi-level marketing scheme. Yes, exactly. Uh, is that, okay, great. That's exactly how, how I thought of it, too. Yes. I became president of Antifa CEO because I sold the most Molotov cocktails. <laughs> and what you do is you have to get someone under you selling Molotov cocktails right. and then someone under them and eventually you can get rich like me. Right, you need to, but you need to buy a $5,000 stash of Molotov cocktails up front. Exactly, yes, exactly. And then you have your upline and your downline. Yeah, yes. I so, get it. So I, I want to get back to uh, the subpoena that Rand Paul is mm. calling for here. So uh, he's called to subpoena plane records, hotel records, all travel records, and all funding. Um, does, does this concern you? You think he might find anything that um, may be incriminating? Um, I don't really know if I can comply with the subpoena because I don't have any records for anything I've ever done. I've, uh, every time I've ever flown, I've been a stowaway. You know how people <laughs> ride the rails? I do yeah. a similar thing on planes. I fly, you know where people have their pets in the cargo area? Mm -hmm. I fly like that. I'm in a cage. And mm -hmm. to be honest with you, to be quite frank, I've only ever been on one airplane, and that was to go see Henry Rollins and tell him he sold out. Okay. That's important, what? though. That's activism. <laughs> what does an, an Antifa business meal look like, ultimately? Uh, I am fed, again, I'm in the cargo with the pets, so I, get, I eat what they eat, uh, mostly kibble, or sometimes I'll just, like, pop a zanny and sleep all the way through. But there's no real, like, there's no, there, you are right, though. Planes are adding, like, an Antifa class. Like, how okay. there's business, coach, and then there's going to be us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the only part of the plane that's a squat. It's going to okay. be a warehouse squat part of the plane where we're all just kind of living. Uh, no heat, no uh, windows, like that. It's like a punk house part of the plane. And for people who are interested in applying to Antifa, you know, let's say for the position of a white outside agitator, mm -hmm. how can someone apply to your company? All right. Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, you minimum four years experience and you're going to need two recommendations. Uh, I would prefer it if you had uh, experience of, if you have any relevant experience terrorizing the suburbs. 
Uh, please put that front and center. That's really what we're looking for right now. Okay. I mean, that seems really, that seems really reasonable. Um, more so than a lot of the job descriptions we see out there. And what would an example of, what are you looking for in terms of terrorizing the suburbs? Are we talking about, you know, your run of the mill ruckus from childhood? Um, okay. So that's a great question. And first of all, let me just like break down the interview for, as they always say, dress for the job you want, you know, come in looking professional, black bandana, black mm -hmm. hoodie, maybe some sort of gas mask, something that lets us know you mean business. Right. Um, in terms of what we plan to do to the suburbs, we are going to abolish the suburbs and everyone who lives in them. We are going to, you like Sunday football? No more Sunday football. Antifa's here. You got to watch Antifa sports now. That's how it's going to yeah. be. And what, what are Antifa sports? Curling. What are Antifa sports? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Curling only. Oh, man. Uh, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of running. And um, oddly enough, we have a synchronized swim team. We're the all, we're mostly, usually they dress in colors, but we're all black and we do like the Anarchy A in a swimming pool. It's really beautiful. It's actually very elegant. I've seen it before. Oh, nice. That's wonderful. Well, uh, Mr. Spector, David, I don't know what you prefer. I just, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and mm. uh, we wish you the best of luck with your new hires. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, thanks for letting me know about this Rand Paul subpoena. I'll look into it when I'm out of this K-hole. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. Just listen to Reply Guys. We are joined this week by Annie Tan, who is a New York activist and public school teacher, wrote a really great piece on school reopening for the New Republic. And she's talking about the developing situation uh, between the mayor, uh, the teachers union and um, teachers in New York who are wanting to make sure that uh, they are safe um, and that students are safe. And, you know, it just really gets to the heart of a lot of what we care about on this podcast. I think it's one of our best episodes so far. So please give it a listen. I also want to uh, promote our Patreon. We are doing a series on QAnon right now, which has been really fascinating. Uh, we had uh, Will Summer on from the Daily Beast last week, and we have uh, Travis from QAnon Anonymous coming on this week. Um, and yeah, it's just really weird and creepy and fun to learn about this uh, wacko right wing shit. Am I allowed that to say getting, like more and more serious? Um, to the yeah. point that my dad knows what it is now, so you know it's really serious. And he called it Cuisinart. <laughs> oh my god, I love him. I love him. When is your dad coming on the podcast? He, we're gonna get him, and he's you know he's again he loves attention. He's he, he can't wait. Once I get, I um, mean, I don't trust him with technology, so I would have to be there to facilitate. But yeah. But uh, anyway, so hopefully your dad will be uh, a, a guest pretty soon. But yeah, if you can spare five bucks a month, we would uh, appreciate it incredibly much if you became a subscriber to our Patreon. Uh, you know, we have done this show 
uh, I think we've made like 73 episodes of the show so far, and we're just we're trying to uh, to cover our costs at least um, and make sure that we can keep doing it. Um, most of the content we bring will always be free, but if you are uh, at all in a position to support the show, uh, we would love and appreciate that so much. Um, all right, so without further ado, here is our interview with Annie Tan. Hello, hello. This is Kate. I just wanted to provide a a couple updates before we jump into our interview with Annie, because this situation is rapidly changing and a few things have changed since we talked to her. This is Wednesday afternoon. So Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, the union reached a deal with Mayor de Blasio to avert a strike. So in that deal, Uh, School buildings will reopen for students on September 21st. Teachers are still expected to report to the buildings on September 8th, same as was previously scheduled. So right now, a strike has been averted. A lot of the rank and file membership of the union is opposed to the deal because their safety still isn't really being prioritized. Not much has changed except for there will be some randomized testing of students starting in October, and that will be mandatory um, both for students and for staff. There is no testing that is required uh, of students before they enter the school buildings in September. a lot of the rank and file union membership is is pretty mad about this. Uh, we got to talk to Annie for a few more minutes this afternoon, which we added at the end of the episode. But, you know, please continue to watch this situation. It is rapidly unfolding. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that so much of the safety concerns that she's talking about in this interview are still extremely relevant nothing has really changed along those lines um so please support teachers uh also since i'm adding an update on wednesday anyway i do want to say that ed markey won his primary last night alex morse unfortunately didn't win that's another race that we've covered on the show but uh we're so excited uh that ed markey won And we hope you're having a good day. Please enjoy this interview with Annie and also stay a few more minutes after the interview because we have an update from her today. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. This week, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Annie Tan, who is a teacher here in New York. Thank you for coming on the show, Annie. Thank you, Kate. I'm really excited to talk to you both. I'm really excited to talk to you also. I just, I saw the piece that you wrote in New Republic about the dangers of um, teachers going back and teachers and kids going back to in-person school. And also I've been seeing, um, you know, uh, I've been seeing the news from The Intercept and a couple other sources about a strike that, an impending strike that may come. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted, to, when I saw you on Twitter today, I, I saw you uh, posting about it and your name is on Twitter is, uh, it's Annie Tan will not die for the DOE. Yeah. I will not. Yes, I will not die for the New York City <laughs> Department of Education. That is not happening. Wow. That's, I mean... <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I've I've actually seen there. 
I've seen a bunch of signs that say that say this uh, have the same sort of slogan. Uh, I won't die mm-hmm. for the DOE, um, which I think is a completely reasonable thing. <laughs> request to make um yeah i I think it is completely yeah thank you i appreciate that um it it feels like we're being made crazy to ask for like very basic things like protecting our lives but uh it's not actually when you see like people on twitter being like no it is actually your responsibility to be childcare and to teach us and uh to be like our servants when like you all are sitting here remotely like you jerks. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so yeah, teacher, teachers are in such a precarious um, position anyways. And I think that, you know, we we've seen so many, you know, so much of like the uprising of the labor movement has been because of teachers in the last few years, partic- particularly teachers in, in red states. Um, and I think that teachers have this really sort of strange position in American society where they are sort of um, like lionized in some ways, like, oh, teachers are heroes, teacher. And, you know, they're just, they do so much for us and they're incredible. And then, you know, they aren't paid <laughs> appropriately. Uh, and when things like this happen, people just want teachers to like throw their bodies in front of the problem, literally, and just be, you know, guinea pigs for for sort of uh, an entire national reopening uh, that is pretty ill conceived. Yep. And I'll say that if we were not an 80 percent female profession, that wouldn't be the case right now, you know. That, like, yeah. I think we as yeah. women in this room are sitting here, like, we're supposed to be the helpers, right? We're supposed to be the one giving our energy but not get paid for it. That's why, like, mm-hmm. women of ch- color are, like, dealing with a bunch of the childcare burdens right now all across the nation and have always and have always been paid low wages because of it. Um, yeah, so this is a very sexist thing. If, uh, if my profession were 80% men... They would be demanding we stay closed, probably, you know, and protecting mm-hmm. the men. It's, it's just true. Um, and I think it even goes uh, prior to the red state revolt of uh, 2017 and 18. It would go toward the teacher strike in Chicago in 2012, uh, which, you know, many yeah. people saw as, you know, and I was actually in Chicago uh, working there at the time. Uh, I was just going to say, I believe you because you said Chicago. Yes. <laughs> I believe that you were there. Did I say yeah. Chicago? Oh, my goodness. I yeah. lived there for five yeah. years. Oh, no. It, yeah. No, it's funny because my Chicago Teachers Union family, they're all like, Annie, you are a sister. You are always welcome back. Um, I've been to many Chicago teachers' weddings. Um, so, like, it is, uh, it is an honor to... Be welcomed into the Chicago fold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, just going back to Chicago for a second, you know, uh, it was their teachers union caucus, the caucus of rank and file educators that I was a member of for a few years um, that really taught me that we can all stand up. We can all have agency and power if we all uh, come together with students, with families, with community advocates, with organizations we can actually stand for public education in a way that it never has 
you know, it's we've been defunded for decades. That's why we can't open right now, because our schools are crumbling. And like there are rats and mice in my building. There's air quality issues. There's never enough soap in the bathrooms pre-pandemic. So, you know, uh, I think everything you said about the red state revolt is correct. And it is because uh, our public officials will not give us the funding like Trump is not right now to make sure that schools, buildings and the resources and the supplies and the money are there to actually get make quality schools happen. So talk us through what the dangers would be. Um, what is your day look like as a teacher? And what are all the ways that you and your students could catch COVID were you to go back in person? Yeah, I I actually have not done this exercise of what it would be like to walk into my building and do this. So uh, under the current plan, uh, I would have to go into a building, uh, probably have my temperature checked, which takes a while, right? And every single person in the building would have to get their temperature checked. They may have students and families uh, do their own temperature checks prior to coming into the school building. Uh, only a third of the students would be allowed in at a time. So uh, if the cohort A Monday group is there, like, you know, a third of the school will be there uh, and they'll come in. Uh, we have, what, four million masks at the moment. We have four million things. At, at least that's what the mayor says. And we have hundreds of thousands <laughs> of students coming in and 100,000 staff coming back in. So... That will last probably less than a week for million masks. Um, and so like we'd, I, I definitely wouldn't trust a cloth mask, like going into a school building and working five hours a day in a classroom. Uh, I'd be having my students, my fifth graders sit uh, six feet apart from each other and basically control and criminalize their bodies and be like, you cannot move like not even to get a tissue. We may have to like give them individual tissues to grab, by the way, because they may not be able to touch the same box. Each kid will have to have their own separate pencils, but because I have no funding this year, there's no extra money for books. So how are we gonna share books? Like the mm -hmm. kids won't have that. Um, and I am not at all sure how I'm going to teach this day because it is August 31st as I'm talking to you. It is 10 days away from the school year uh, starting, supposedly, because we don't have a public calendar yet, which is ridiculous. Um, and uh, I don't know who's going to teach the rest of the two thirds of my class who are all going to be remote yet. There is no clear indication who's going to be teaching what. We would need twice or three times the staff in order for a teacher to be teaching in person while the, another teacher is teaching the other part of the class remote. Um, so am I going to have to sit in a classroom environment watching the other remote kids on Wi-Fi that often craps out anyway in a school building? Just even just loading a website or a video as is? No, that's not going to work. I also worked in a windowless classroom last year, so I'm going to be moved into the library for this. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm going to be sharing that with another classroom because that class has also been displaced um and then we're gonna have to eat lunch in the library my students are all gonna be facing forward 
eating their lunch with their masks off while I sit in the back of the library. There's so many things that I haven't even thought of because I have a million questions still and it's 10 days out. Yeah, there's so much. It just seems like there's there are just so many unanswered questions and so so much like outstanding information that seems still needs to be provided, but teachers are just sort of expected to suck it up and go back uh, without knowing kind of any of the details in a Correct. situation that demands a lot of knowledge of details. Um, and, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where, yeah, may, this would all be great if, <laughs> if there were any sort of like dedicated funding and if education were not the first thing that everybody wanted to make cuts to and if our current federal department of education were not headed by a woman who famously called public school a dead end <laughs> yes so yeah Oof. and i didn't uh, even get into like uh the ventilation stuff you know like i was in on a union meeting last week and they were saying that a four inch open window is enough for a room to be called ventilated who was that your union was saying that my or union rep, the... yeah yeah so like the we have like a district representative so we have i think like 30 or 40 different districts through new york city and so yes this district representative was like yep it'll pass the test because your window opens four inches um, and then we're going to be sitting in the same spots for five hours. We're not going to be moving, by the way. Like, the kids aren't going to have recess because you can't have recess during a pandemic like that. Um, you know, and uh, I was going to also... There was another thing I was going to mention. But yeah, ventilation's a huge issue that, like, you know, they, they're saying that, like, 60% of schools had, like, deficiencies last year in ventilation. So you're not going to... that That's a multi-million dollar project to fix all the school's ventilation issues. Yeah, and I think, you know, I am uh, in no way an expert on this, but from the reading that I've done, it seems like sitting six feet apart, social distancing, it doesn't necessarily do that much if it's just the same air circulating again and again because the particles... I don't know if that's Correct. a scientific term, but basically <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the little spit particles can uh, fly throughout the room uh, into people's mouths. I don't know. But basically it's, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a big focus on six feet apart, but mm -hmm. now people are saying it may be more about uh, the ventilation throughout the room. And that's why outside has proven to be so much safer because uh, the air coming out of people's mouths blows away. Um, yeah. I, you know, I should be a biologist, I yes. guess, <laughs> with all this advanced knowledge I have. Correct. I um, wait, wait, are, they're called droplets, right? Is that what everyone calls them? It's droplets. So, it's so yeah. gross. It's so gross. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and, it's and burned like, in my we, brain because it's gross. But We'll never go back to not wearing... I, I feel like now, like, like after this is all over, I'm going to be talking with people and just think, oh, like all my droplets are going into their mouth. Like that's disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, one thing that's been really infuriating uh, in this whole debate about whether schools should reopen is you're seeing, you know, a lot of media, New York Times, for example, Washington Post, there are so many op-eds about why schools must reopen. And of course, the class of people that uh, writes for the New York Times, you know, what they want is to go back to work and have childcare, which is understandable, right? Like, but, you know, it's not, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not advocating for the safety of teachers whatsoever. Like even if there's, you know, a third of the students there one day, you're the common denominator in every situation. And you know, the reason that, yeah, I was just going to say, so like, what if I'm teaching cohort a on Monday, one of the kids gets sick in cohort a, and I unknowingly am sick because the kids asymptomatic, I might be asymptomatic and then catch it, like get symptoms. And then I spread that to cohorts B and C. Like, Mm -hmm. because they're going on alternating days. It's not like one week I see cohort A and then next week I see cohort B. No, it's Monday cohort A, Tuesday cohort B, Wednesday cohort C. So this is going to spread real fast. Like, they've actually said that hybrid models this way are actually going to be huge spreaders and transmissions. Um, And that's also to add on to the fact that there's no actual contact tracing and testing protocol right now in New York that... Um, is robust enough to catch what's happening in Sunset Park, where I teach, right? That just had a 7% positivity rate on tests. Um, And the Bronx and other neighborhoods that have majority black and brown folk that have been impacted by COVID-19 the most. So uh, it's absolutely infuriating when the mayor says, like, we're at a 1% positivity rate because that's just not true across the city. And, you know, my friend who works in, who lives in Sunset Park and works in Elmhurst, she's like, yeah, like, what if I get it and then I go to Elmhurst on the subway and transmit it to Elmhurst, which had some of the highest amounts of cases in the whole city where Elmhurst Hospital mm-hmm. was. Um, so there's no actual, like, protections around mass transit either. Um, and how do you contact trace that? Like, do you find everyone who rode on the subway with my friend? You know, because yeah. it takes, what, like, 15 minutes of, like, sharing the same air to transmit it. So, like, how's that going to work? It's, I and mean, what yeah, happens? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what happens if a student gets sick, or if you get sick? Is there a plan in place? Uh, yeah. So, for- so the if a kid has symptoms, they're going to be in an isolation safe room. Uh, who's gonna man that room? That poor soul. Uh, I think uh, that person will have to volunteer for that room, uh, and then they'll they'll be exposed too. Um, and Uh, We haven't also even talked about like special education students who may have a medical accommodation like around not wearing a mask. So or like I've worked with kids in Chicago who need hand on hand contact to like learn how to write or to like have speech therapy so they can learn how to speak. Um, And they're going to need extra careful PPE. And there's not as of like two weeks ago, they hadn't even talked about the highest need special education students. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to like, just there, there's just so much like larger citywide that hasn't been covered yet, but also like granular, like how are we supporting English language learners? Like my special education students who are entitled to two teachers rather than one, are they going to get the services they need? Um, 
I don't remember what the point was, but there's a lot. Well, there's, there's, you know, they would need to hire probably three times as many teachers, um, which they're not going to do to accommodate all these specifications. Correct. And that was the other thing that like this month, kids are if they're in a three cohort model, they're going to go in six days this month. So, like, Mm -hmm. how can that be any sort of argument for childcare? Especially if that school ends up closing down because of COVID-19. You just need two cases in that school and then it closes down again. So like a parent's going to be like, hey, like I just found out, you know, two days before school started, probably that my kid's going to be going to school this Monday and that Wednesday and the following Monday and the following Friday. Can I work those days? That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, this is like so much of this is just exposing like all the holes in American society writ large, but also like the fact that we just don't have any sort of like support for parents or we we have like no childcare in this country um, and childcare disproportionately falls on women of color um it's for wealthier for wealthier white people we see that a lot here in new york um but yeah i mean 70 percent of new york city public schools are black and brown you know when de blasio says that like we have a one like a less than one percent positive test rate that's not really accounting for the populations that are sending their kids to new york city public schools Um, And those numbers are much different. Um, And yeah, it's really uh, it just like the logistics of getting again, getting all the spacing and all the the kinks worked out of this, not to mention the PPE that is just not going to be there. Um, It's not. And that's why when people, you know, I you're you're on Twitter. I see that, um, you know, somebody was like, there's some jackals on on twitter who are like nurses go back to work why can't teachers because teachers don't have the fucking ppe (laughs) and also the nurses were fighting for the ppe for the longest because they're also a majority female profession yeah absolutely yeah i i I mean it's also just uh, the the expectation that teachers should just be willing to martyr themselves completely is is so ridiculous you know like that you know that being a teacher means that you're signing up to die or even that being a nurse means that i mean i don't think anybody was no one signed up with that you know and the new york state Uh, nurses association straight up said no we don't want schools to open because this is gonna spread it again we have worked so hard to stop the spread nizna was like no like and now nizna nurses are going around telling people to sign their kids up for fully remote uh so that like the schools will close down because uh if students go fully remote there won't be enough staff to staff things uh or sorry not enough students to be in person so that staff come in uh so uh, there there are actually schools i've heard where there's like 80 90 percent remote learning happening so those like those teachers like are gonna be probably remote as well. So like that puts a lot less pressure on that school to be like, oh, we're gonna actually have an in-person program. 
Uh, so that's one thing that uh, some people have done to fight back, which is a good thing in my mind. What is the... So ex- no, go, Kate, go ahead, Julia. No, Kate, you go ahead. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, all right. So there's a there's a battle that's taking place right now between the mayor, uh, the union, teachers, maybe parents. Like, who are the actors in this battle? And what does each group want? What is What is every group advocating for broadly? So teachers have been just anxiously, like literally finding out information about their jobs over Twitter because the chancellor hasn't shared information. The union hasn't shared information. We're finding out about our jobs in the news and Twitter. Like it is very sad, actually. Like the mayor will have a press conference at 11. The teachers will watch it at 11 or they'll listen to him talk on the Brian Lurer show. Um, And then they'll get all (laughs) mad and in a tizzy. Yeah. And uh, they'll call into the Brian Lehrer show uh, or they're like they're starting to write op-eds at this point in like July and August. Um, And just we're just trying to find out as much as we can, you know, through the summer. Um, While the chancellor, I think the chancellor sent maybe five, maybe six emails this summer, which isn't bad if you think about it. But maybe only one or two was anything about instruction. He also sent instruction last Wednesday, which would have been just like two weeks before the start of school around uh, what classrooms might look like and totally upended what principals were doing. So uh, so definitely the chancellor, uh, the head of uh, public education, the mayor, who has a lot to lose if he doesn't get this school reopening plan done, but at the same time would lose a lot if he were the first mayor to push a teacher's union to strike in over 45 years um the union uh might lose credibility with the teachers if it doesn't do something about the demands mm. uh but would also lose face with its business orientation toward the mayor and cuomo if like they fight too hard so i think this union is very much like oriented toward the bosses unfortunately and the teachers on the ground who are totally disorganized and like not knowing what to do. Like some teachers want to be back in person. Some teachers want fully remote a lot. I think a lot more teachers want fully remote during this pandemic than being in person. But even the ones in person are like, no, like there's PPE and ventilation issues and everything we're reading about in the news, including the fact that they're going to inspect all the buildings within a week. That was their promise. That's not going to work. So I think what I've been doing all summer, you know, you said I was in the New Republic and on The Intercept and CNN and uh, Fox 5 New York and NBC Nightly News and all of these reporters calling me because I'm trying to get the word out there that it's not safe. So like teachers like me on the ground also having their skin in the game literally um, to fight back. So I think... There is a opening for the rank and file here in New York City right now to uh, really push back against the union to demand for more than just safety protocols. Because what if, you know, what if our president Mulgrew right now, he says that, you know, there is enough adequate ventilation, that there's enough PPE. What happens when I go into my classroom and there's no money for pencils? Like, I can't teach that way either. So uh, I feel like there's 
a large opening. Everything you said, Julia, earlier about how there everything's been exposed about the holes in mm-hmm. our social safety net. Um, that schools have been that social safety net for so many people, and because we don't have one, like we teachers are expected to take the fall for everything, including yeah. being social workers and guidance counselors and nurses, right? That we're not supposed to be because they won't fund nurses, they won't fund counselors, they won't fund social workers. Um, so in my mind, it's also the parents, of course, who have skin in the game, but who are increasingly understanding that this is not possible. Like reopening schools in 10 days with so many questions in hand and so few supplies is not possible. So there's a lot of players in this game and the students who will be impacted the most, right? And, you know, of course. who started in January asking me, Miss Tan, like, am I going to get my, like, grandma infected if I hug them? You know, and I said, like j- just based on uh, and sorry backstory that i started teaching my students about the coronavirus back in january so i'm chinese american um and i you know my we do this morning news segment in the morning and i was like oh what's happening in the news and china's having this uh virus happening and i thought it'd be cool to show my students in january uh and so like we had two months of talking about the coronavirus before this pandemic hit which is the best thing i have ever done as a teacher um to talk to them about how mostly children don't get it um that like it seems to be affecting elderly people it seems like you have to separate yourselves and social distance like I showed them video and photos of Wuhan, like totally quarantined. And they were like, oh, it looks like Resident Evil. So like I prepared them on what <laughs> things might look like outside. Um, that I, I'm so happy. Like I, I was so scared in January when I was doing it. That was scaring my students. But like by the time March hit, like they were the most informed kids on the planet about it, like in America or at least in America about it. Um, so... You know, but they had questions. They were like, I don't want to get anyone sick. You know, what if I get it and I spread it like not knowing because kids don't, uh, you know, have symptoms as often um, and I get someone sick? Or what if I if someone at home is sick and I spread it to my classmates and they get people sick? So they are asking those questions right now. Um, And we shouldn't be putting the choice on students or educators or their families to make that choice we would we should be paying people to stay home right now we should be paying for their health insurance we should be providing so many things but because we have an orange 45 president over here we're just not getting those things and and also because we have a governor who um in the midst of all this is still trying to push through an austerity budget correct that Um, he he is withholding 20% of our education budget. We are also um, possibly going to have 9,000 teachers laid off. And the UFT is saying that we cannot demand fully remote learning right now because if we do, de Blasio and probably Cuomo will lay off 9,000 people. Um, so there, there is a fear there okay. um, that my union has. I have a question. Um, yeah? I... So, you know, I've, I've been thinking I work I work in higher education, so I've been thinking a lot about um, and, you know, we don't have the same sort of situation um, as the public school teachers uh, at all. But um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about about public school and 
and in the beginning of this uh, of this whole thing back in really when when lockdown started, I know that the New York City public schools were very slow to close down. And the reasoning being, which I understand that like a hell of a lot of students rely, you know, to to the point we were both making about how like um, the schools are, are expected to step in as as that like social safety net. A lot of students rely on um, the their school for their kind of, you know, one or two meals a day. Um, and we've also learned, uh, you know, there have been like different studies, you know, kids that were like remote learning, we all know is like less than ideal. And the like, you know, retention of information is really dropping off. And a lot of kids are just like, especially expecting little kids to sit in front of a screen and like pay attention is really hard. So if you had your druthers, like what is your best case? And like, what would you do if you could, um, would you just like scrap the whole year? <laughs> just be like, we should try again next year. Uh, if this thing gets <laughs> under control, I I'm, I'm really curious because I don't know what the right answer is myself. I just know that the, like the, all of this seems like a real rock and a hard place situation because we've been like backed into a corner and we have so few options. Correct. I honestly, um, when like when you're a teacher and you are expected to put hundreds of dollars of your own money in mm -hmm. all the time for your teaching and you're expected to bear the weight of your students and families losses so much because there's not, enough support in the community for them it it becomes so hard as a teacher i'm about to enter my ninth year into teaching it becomes so hard to imagine just like a bigger brighter future you know so like as you're asking me like what would you imagine i think a lot of teachers are just at the point right now where they're just totally beaten down and can't like it hurts to dream about something bigger because we know it's not going to happen, so what's the point? Mm -hmm. Honestly. Mm -hmm. It is. And that's why educators are retiring and resigning right now because they're like, they're completely broken. Like, and we're going to see more broken teachers this year. We're going to see an educational crisis on our hands soon because teachers are going to leave. And, you know, I've had to think about that this summer for really the first time. Like, am I going to quit this job I've wanted since I was six? You know? Um... So for you, for you to ask that, it, it, it hurts. It honestly hurts yeah. to hear that question. Um, I would I'm sorry. Say, I didn't, yeah, no, I didn't no, mean no. anything it was, by it's, it. It's not, <laughs> it's not you. It's just the way that, I, and I say that because it's just the way teachers have been torn down for so long. Um, and we've been asked to be martyrs or we're told yeah. we're lazy. So like that, that is the emotional toll that's taken especially since we've been gaslit all summer to finally defend ourselves right. and our lives. Um, in terms of just what this year would look like, I mean, like, it's just true that kids are learning from what we're showing them right now. You know, we're showing them that there is no alternative because we don't have one. We're showing them right now that, like, their schools, their schools buildings gave them a terrible little... 
iPad that they can't even type on. And that's what, like, that just showed kids how much their school cared about them. And I think those kids have been getting those messages from their public schools all along that, oh, there is no soap in the bathroom. The toilet's always broken. Like, they're always getting the message, they don't care about me. You know, that's that's just honestly the truth. Like, we're always, they're always learning something. They might be learning how to cook with their parents. They might be learning how to play a lot of video games because that's real. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a wash. I don't think it had to be a wash last mm. spring. But we were told in the spring to take three days to figure out a whole online learning system and just go. And then we had our spring break canceled and we had no time to actually reflect on how to make remote learning better. So we teachers spent 12 hour days calling each and every one of those parents, the students, whenever their internet was down, whenever a grandparent or a cousin died from COVID-19. Like I had a classroom of 12 students and three paraprofessionals and me last year and we lost 14 people like this spring, oh. you know? So we know the cost. And mm. like going back to the New York Times, Tom Frieden said that had we closed down things earlier, including schools, including stores and businesses, we would have lost 50 to 80% less people. Mm -hmm. We lost, yeah. what, 20,000 people? Like if, if that was 80%, then like 18, oh, sorry, 16,000 people, didn't do my math right there, 16,000 people could have lived, you know? And... Like to have our mayor say like, we're ready to reopen when we haven't grieved the losses that we've had. Um, again, the hurt is there and we haven't mourned them. Uh, yeah. But we also haven't given teachers time to make remote learning a thing because the mayor keeps ramming through this in-person plan without giving us time to learn. Like we haven't had remote learning training. Like, I have had none of that training this summer, even though kids will be remote two-thirds of the time anyway. Like, mm -hmm. that is just bizarro world thinking right there. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone every day asking for just basic things, but we're not getting any of it. Um, I would want more time to go fully remote, to have a mix of physical supplies, like books sent over to each and every parent. Um to like try to do lessons and try to do one-on-one -on -one phone calls um, so that I could actually review with kids and maybe when safe, like do some very small in-person things where both educators and the parents and also the students opt into being in person with all the safe supplies um, and protocols. And, you know, like Orange County spent what, 80, $90,000 on just plexiglass to make sure their schools were safe. That's not happening here in New York City. Yeah. Um, it's just, without all those things in place, you can't open the largest school district in the nation um, without expecting another uh, coronavirus transmission spread. And like going back to your comment about the New York Times, Eliza Shapiro said that no one expects the coronavirus spread rate to be zero and that shouldn't be considered a failure. And... How blind is that comment, you know? Like, yes, someone dying is a failure. You do not no. get over the death of a family member like that. That is such irresponsible speaking and talking from yeah. a New York Times reporter, an education reporter who should know better. 
<laughs> oh boy. I mean, I think that that's, that illustrates the disconnect between people like that who are really like, even though she's an, you know, an education reporter, like just how far removed those people are from the day-to-day work of education. And also, yeah, I mean, people, I saw something, I saw someone making a comment about how, um, like, oh yeah, people, people say it's so hard to raise kids in New York city, but New York city has the the largest public school in the country. And I was just like, yeah, it's the largest, but it's also like not funded well as it should be at all. It's terribly mismanaged. Like teachers are not given the resources that they need. Um, and it's like a complete, it's like very segregated. It's, it's unequal. It's, and so I, I just wish that pe- that people would, some people like conflate the, the bigness of it with, <laughs> with like it running really smoothly. And I, uh, I wish people would not do, and this was a New Yorker. I'm like, how do you, uh, how? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I talked to, I, I went to through K through 12 public school here in New York City myself. Yeah. You know, I was asking my friends, my former classmates, like, do you remember your bathroom always having soap? And all across the board, the answer is no. Like, yeah. that's been for decades, you know? And then just also uh, the education committee chairperson in New York City, uh, Mark Traeger, he tweeted uh, that, you know, it's not just teachers who work in these school buildings. It's the custodial workers. It's the um, principal. It's the administrators. It's the coaches. It's uh, the... Uh, lunch workers, it's the school safety officers. There's so many people. And I just wanted to say, too, that the principal's union has called for a delay in school reopening. The custodial union's workers, the office aides, the lunch aides, DC 37, the UFT, my union, uh, the New York State Nurses Association, uh, and multiple districts of principals, um, Jumani Williams, a public advocate, Mark Traeger, um, the city council is uh, calling for a resolution on Thursday, uh, asking for a delay in school reopening. Like so, like the day after this airs, like you can go here and watch hours and hours of testimony from very passionate education people saying why we should close the school buildings down. Totally. Uh, so, all of these people asking for schools to be like not opened, you know, and it's really the mayor and the chancellor and like are really pushing this right now and Cuomo just said today like he he's not talking about this but he's also not even sure if he's going to send his own children back to school oh he'll send his daughter's (laughs) he'll send his daughter's boyfriend back to school um but uh yeah just get rid of him take him out italian style just kidding we we aren't we are not racist on the show except towards italians which i am yeah uh which i am but uh so there's you know there's a lot unfolding with uh the possibility of a strike here and you know we're recording on monday night i'm not sure where things will be on wednesday where it comes out but you know what might a what might a strike look like if it ends up going in in that direction and and how would it get to that place 
So right now, our union representatives, the district representatives I was talking about earlier, have been directing members to start getting ready for a strike. So it would start with those chapter leaders and delegates who are going to be voting at the delegate assembly probably tomorrow um, for strike authorization. And once that happens, then, you know, our schools are going to start creating the phone trees and doing the organizing work that would normally take months and months uh, and do all of that within a week because our union has totally organized us correctly uh, and only given us a week to figure out, uh, you know, how to get all the core supporters together, um, how to get all the signs together, uh, get logistics together for pickets in front of school buildings uh, on September 10th. So we're going to have to, as rank and file teachers on the ground, really get our butts together and like call all of our coworkers, the ones who are not sure of a strike, uh, the ones who may want to cross the picket line and talk to them and say, no, no one is crossing the picket line. And like some of them will be like, yes, like I am definitely pro-union. And then other ones, I'm going to have to scare and be like, yo, like we will never forgive you if you cross the picket line. <laughs> you know, like don't you be will a scab. be, don't be a scab. You will be remembered as a scab for years. Um, but that's going to be all week. Like, so I have nothing planned this week except organizing my school and like, you know, helping my friends organize at their schools toward like making a strike happen and making it successful. Because if the delegate assembly votes tomorrow for a strike and there is actually a possibility right now, as I speak with you Monday, that there may not be a membership wide vote for a strike then the members are going to get really mad and go against the union's wishes possibly. And that would be disastrous for yeah. all of us. So it is imperative for all of us to go toward a strike right now um, and to really convince our coworkers to do the same. And I like trust in my coworkers. Like I've worked with them for the past four years um, and every single teacher in the school's district, I think it was like 80,000 teachers and then like 20 or 30,000 paraprofessional assistants and all these other UFT members and non-UFT members are going to have to support and really convince people to support strikes. And that's not just our staff. That's also convincing parents and students and communities that this is the right thing to do, too. So not only do we have a week to figure out on the ground how to convince every single teacher and UFT member on the ground to vote yes and to support a strike and to be on the picket line. We also have to get community support because the way the union and uh, the media and the chancellor and the mayor have talked about this strike has been so lacking. Um, you know, in Chicago, like the reason why the 2012 teacher strike was so successful was because 66% of parents supported the strike. Yeah. If, if we don't have parents on the ground supporting the strike and we are not clear in our communication that there's not enough PPE, uh, that a four inch window open is sufficient ventilation while your kid is eating lunch with their mask off, um, then we're not going to win a strike either. We mm -hmm. may also avert a strike. You know, there there may be a possibility where Michael Mulgrew negotiates a backdoor deal because that's how he's been negotiating for his whole tenure as our teachers union president and that might make members mad too that we're getting ready for a strike um finding out that they you know 
there was a strike averted by Michael Mulgrew and they're not sure if the demands were actually met. So there's going to be another thing about like what what will actually avert a strike too. Um, so there's a whole lot of moving pieces here that we have 10 days to figure out. Yay. Damn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. This is, I mean, I, you know, I think people have realized, even people like myself, like I don't have children, but, you know, it's just everybody has seen how integral schools are to keep the entire economy going um, because so many parents cannot work, especially women, um, if they have no place to put their kids during the day. And I've often thought that if teachers strike, there's a possibility that that is what forces the hand of the federal government or at least state governments to really do something proactive about containing the coronavirus, whether it's setting up adequate testing and contact tracing, doing another shorter term shutdown. Like it, it seems to me that teachers are in a position of immense power, not only within schools, but potentially with the entire society does it Correct. feel that way to you yes absolutely i feel like there is an opening here in new york city for teachers that i haven't seen uh since being here that a lot of teachers are seeing for the first time even though we are so demoralized you know everything i told you earlier about just feeling so hurt and so gaslit um and so abused by the department of education again i am not dying for the department of education because they have treated us so poorly for so many years, me as a student and me as a teacher now. Um, and, you know, I think New York City has not seen the level of strike organizing that we've seen in the red states, in Chicago, in L.A., in Seattle, in Oakland, in Detroit, in other places where, uh, you know, there has been more activism around teaching. Not that all those places have had perfect examples, where teachers always won, but at least like teachers felt agency and power together, a collective power that they didn't have by themselves uh, when we were being divided against each other by being called lazy, uh, being divided by teacher evaluations and, uh, you know, being not being a martyr enough. You know, I think we teachers buy into that, too. Like we want to help kids like that's why we came into this work in the first place. But uh, I think teachers are realizing now, like, we are in a better position to help kids if we actually fight together for the funding and the resources and the schools that our students deserve, as the 2012 strike in Chicago said. You know, once they said the words, we're fighting for the schools our students deserve, that's why two-thirds of the parents in Chicago supported them. Yeah. And that's, you know, what West Virginia did too, right? That they got other public sector workers to help out too like they can't bus all the kids in if the bus drivers are also like so in solidarity with the teachers there right mm -hmm. so it's imperative right now like this is a moment where teachers like should not feel so demoralized this is actually our chance to win back our union to win back the funding that our students deserve to win back conditions that have Dilap been dilapidated because of our lack of political will to tax the rich and to actually fund our schools. Amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I know. It was like earlier, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so demoralized. And I was like, but right. It's because I was a Chicago teacher that I feel hopeful yeah. that we might actually make some change happen. And this, this can't just be toward the strike. It has to be continuing to build our chapters and our schools um, so that we can continue to fight back against like other forces that are coming. As I said earlier, there's going to be an educational crisis like no other as more teachers resign and retire. And we're going to have to demand more black teachers, better curriculum. We're going to have to demand more funding for students, um, a culturally responsive curriculum, um, all these things that will make education on the ground better. Um, and again, fight for the schools that our students deserve. That is my lifelong mission as a teacher. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to do the thing that everyone does, but like that, this is why people like put teachers on a pedestal, even why, even while like also doing all the, the terrible things that we, we've just discussed that they do to teachers. Um, because ultimately like, yeah, people like you are definitely the people who I want, um, educating the people of tomorrow, um, the, and I, I'm just like embarrassed that teachers have to go through this shit in, in a country that has all the resources and all, and you know, everything. We're that the we, richest country in the world. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And all of yeah. that is Jeff Bezos, uh, <laughs> stolen money. Yeah, no, <laughs> yes. I, I think we had like a number of added billionaires during this pandemic. A lot of yep. people got richer during this pandemic and there were a bunch more million billionaires that live in New York State now um, that aren't getting taxed and they pay less taxes than we do. Yeah, and Cuomo has famously said that he... Um, Talks that to the people in the Hamptons all the, the time. He's talked to the people in the Hamptons and he doesn't want to raise taxes on them because those people left New York City because the city taxes were too high. And it's like, babe, you, you're sh like this. He's showing exactly who he thinks he works for, which is the billionaires of yep. like the super rich of, of New York. Yeah. So that guy sucks. <laughs> I don't miss those billionaires. They can stay in the Hamptons stay for all in the I Hamptons, care. Yeah. But also tax yeah. them to hell. And yeah. give us the I, money. Yeah, I know, I know we're we're coming uh, to the end of our time here. But, you know, for folks who are not in, not working in education in any capacity, but would like to support teachers, uh, you know, be it a strike or, you know, any other actions that teachers are taking, what's the best way for uh, regular folks to support? That is a very good question. As I told you earlier, there's a lot we have to be doing in a week. Uh, so definitely, um, if you are a parent, uh, please opt your child into fully remote. For everything I said, um, the schools will not be safe to reopen September 10th please opt into fully remote because the mayor keeps citing this number that, oh, the I have the majority of parent opinion on my side that want to be in person. Um, and if we can lower that number, that undermines that credibility of the mayor, first of all. But second of all, to actually, it, it's your way to make a political stance and say, no, we are not 
allowing this unsafe reopening to happen. Um, in terms of just speaking up and speaking out, Thursday, uh, September 2nd is, or is that, no, September 3rd, sorry. Thursday, September 3rd is that city council hearing. Please do a written testimony uh, toward the city council to have a resolution to delay a school reopening. Uh, it's on their city council website to testify and you can email written testimony um, up till I think Saturday to ask them to stop a school reopening. Contact the mayor, contact the chancellor, uh, see if they, you know, tell them all the reasons why uh, you don't want a school reopening. And if you are an educator, message them and say, if I die while I'm teaching, please remember me as, and I'm gonna give an example for myself, a loving human being who loved to sing, who loved to tell stories, who wanted to uh, tell jokes to my students so they felt loved in the classroom, to keep their home languages because I didn't, as a kid of immigrants, keep my home language, and who just wanted to love. Like, that is what I will tell the mayor and the chancellor if I die on this job because they forced us back into school buildings or they spread the coronavirus. Um, and please love your teachers, like send them a loving message because all the teachers across America right now are hurting whether they're fully remote or not. Um, and I know there will be strike preparations coming up soon. So please follow, uh, you know, whatever the union is saying. As much as I've like hit on the union, I love my union. I support my union and I will do everything in my power to make sure that schools stay closed. Please also share anything I've already written. Uh, you know, uh, I, again, you know, you said I was in New Republic. I have an AJ Plus video. Um, and there are a whole bunch of articles that I have been quoted in uh, just sharing that schools will be unsafe. So please and we'll, just we'll share. Put, yeah, we'll, we'll put yes. those in the, in the show notes and make yes. sure that everyone can access them. Absolutely. And just please keep sharing on social media how unsafe the schools are so that even if you don't think it'll get to a stakeholder, it might go to the right person and they might just think, oh my goodness, this is crazy and I actually have the power to stop this and it might convince them to close the schools down. Um, there's a lot that I'm going to be doing this week as a teacher. Um, so, I, and I would also say to those who are struggling, you know, like parents who are struggling with childcare, um, I know people have been hating on pods, you know, saying that they're like uh, an elite uh, thing for parents who can afford to have a pod for their kids. But, you know, people do need childcare right now. Um, because we unfortunately have a healthcare system that's dependent on jobs. Um, and so uh, to support the parents as much as possible as well, you know, I've been donating to mutual aid funds like the South Brooklyn Mutual Aid Fund uh, so that they can, they just gave out 10,000 boxes to South Brooklyn families like my students. Um, and I would just encourage people to keep donating and to also uh, fill out your census because that will make sure for the next 10 years that we will have the education funding that we need. Um, so yes, there's a wow. lot of things there. That's all great. Support teachers, support teachers unions. Don't be a dick to parents. Just be, everybody be chill. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm not going to be chill. I mean, I just I mean, heard this. Be, be just, chill to one another. Don't be chill to uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio because correct. he doesn't. He sucks. He sucks. Or Cuomo. <laughs> we, hate, we hate them both. We hate them both. And they can both, uh, they can both leave. Don't be a scab. Uh, oh, go to the Hamptons. And I yeah. was gonna Get say, out. I was going to say one thing I heard today in a meeting. Uh, it was like an affirmation. Uh, you don't have to be uh, doing a peaceful protest for people who want your genocide. Okay. Yeah. So fight back. Really fight, fight back. back. Yeah. Um, well, Annie, thank you so much for, this for speaking awesome to us. This was awesome to talk to great. you. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for being a teacher. Uh, thank you for being... Uh, being in this in this terrible position i'm so sorry that you have to that you and and the rest of the the new york city public school teachers and all the teachers in america are in this position and uh we will do what what we can to support you but yeah thank you so much for for answering our questions and uh and good luck out there solidarity thank you you. solidarity Solidarity september yes solidarity (laughs) forever solidarity forever Solidarity forever for the the union union makes us us strong. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) Hey, Annie, thank you so much for coming back to give us an update. Since we talked to you on Monday, what has happened? So today is Wednesday. Uh, Yesterday, my union negotiated a deal with the mayor uh, to delayed the school reopening till September 21st, so 11 days. Um, But there doesn't look like the demand around testing every single person uh, before school starts came through. Uh, In fact, uh, the only thing my union seems to have secured is uh, testing once a month of 10 to 20% of random people. And if students and or staff refuse to get randomly tested, then staff will get make, uh, be forced to take an unpaid leave and students will be forced to go fully remote. So that sounds like fun. So I know that a lot of the membership of the union is actually pretty mad about the deal that union leadership came to with the mayor. Is there a possibility that a strike would occur at this point or do you think that most teachers will go with the plan? Um, I think most teachers uh, feel like we still haven't been asked what we want. Um, You know, this strike uh, aversion was um, in my mind done because I don't know if um, that delegate assembly that I talked about uh, would have gotten the votes necessary for strike authorization. And I don't know if they would have even allowed a full membership vote. So I think just in general, members, don't feel like they've been heard. Um, It's clear if you just go to the UFT's Facebook page around their announcement and you just look at the hundreds and hundreds of comments of people really mad about the deal, um, feeling like they haven't been heard. Um, So in terms of what might happen in the next few weeks, we just kicked the can down the road. Like we still have the same exact questions I talked to you about on Monday. Um, we, We still don't have most of those answers right now. Um, and if membership feels like, um, by like, you know, September 18th or something, there's still no real plan going forth, 
that won't stop the principals and the custodial union and uh, DC 37 and other people who are working to uh, do something about it. And I don't know if that'll be a strike. I think my union is very much trying to avert a strike and uh, knows it doesn't want that because Michael Mulgrew has like specifically said he's talking to business interests um, and he's been talking to the mayor this whole time. It seemed very orchestrated the fact that there was a strike authorization vote Monday night uh, at the executive board and then Tuesday all of a sudden it was negotiated that morning. So it seems like a lot of members think that this was Mulgrew's plan all along. Uh, and also the fact that um, teachers are supposed to go into school buildings on September 8th. You know, when I was talking to you on Monday, you know, the union was saying, don't go into school buildings, they're unsafe uh, on Monday. And then Tuesday when they agreed to this, they're like, oh no, just kidding. Uh, you all have to report on the 8th now, um, pending your uh, inspections report, which we still didn't get by the way. So yeah, fun stuff. Well, uh, we will be watching this situation as it unfolds over the next few weeks, and uh, we support you, um, and uh, yeah, our just, you know, our thoughts are really with you, and uh, our, our actions uh, will be in support of you um, as the situation continues to, to unfold, to prioritize the, the safety of everyone who works at schools, teachers, everyone else, and also students. Thank you so much, Annie. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H. Julia tweets and Twitter is where you can also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. Your this land. land.